0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I recently finished reading a biography of Mother Maria Skobozova. Mother Maria of Paris, as she's known, was a Russian immigrant fleeing the Bolshevik Revolution who found herself in Paris. Following the tragic death of one of her children in Paris, Mother Maria took monastic vows and set about serving the mostly Russian derelict poor scattered throughout the city. Her convent became a boarding house, a soup kitchen, a center for theological and intellectual discussion. Mother Maria spent much of her time negotiating for food to serve the poor who came to her for rest. The rest of her days and nights were often spent in deep and rich conversation with anyone who sought her out. After several years of difficult and fruitful ministry, living among addicts, thieves, liars, and the exhausted masses of poverty-stricken immigrants, Mother Maria's new homeland of Paris became the occupied territory of the German Reich, As the intentions of the Nazi leadership became clearer, namely the dehumanization and extermination of Europe's Jewish population, Mother Maria and the Russian priests who served alongside her began smuggling Jewish people to safety, forging baptism certificates, taking in children whose parents had been removed to concentration camps. Eventually, due to these efforts, Mother Maria and many of her compatriots were arrested, loaded into cattle cars, and sent off to various concentration camps. At Ravensbrück, Mother Maria was largely the same, smiling, gregarious to any who wanted to be with her, generous, sharing her meager food allowance with those who needed it. She continued her needlepoint iconography, wrote poetry, taught the women of her unit about the history of the Russian church and the lives of the saints. She was vigilant and insistent that herself and those around her not succumb to the vice-like pressure of dehumanization exerted by their Nazi tormentors as it became clear that Germany would not win the war. Indeed, even as Red Cross trucks parked outside the walls of Ravensbrück, seeking the release of the prisoners held there, the Nazis moved into overdrive, seeking to stamp out all life and all evidence of their diabolical schemes. There's some confusion in the records of these last days, as one would expect, but a story emerges that Mother Maria volunteered to go to the gas chambers in the place of another prisoner. She was martyred, in what could not have been a temporal accident, on Holy Saturday, 1945, less than a month before the fall of Berlin and the end of Nazi Germany. One of the things that is so striking about Mother Maria is the way she founded her life upon radical freedom. Christ is freedom, she wrote. Thus Christ and coercion are incompatible. We live in, and are in fact products of, a culture that is deeply confused about freedom. Our assumption is that freedom is about self-expression, self-actualization, self-reliance. Sexual freedom means not being tied to any one partner. Financial freedom means having enough money to achieve whatever lifestyle we're aiming for. A free weekend means time to do whatever we want. Of course, it doesn't take a genius to realize that if you press any of those ideas of freedom too far, you find yourself in a prison house of loneliness and anxiety. What Mother Maria understood and lived is that the freedom that Christ offers is a paradoxical freedom. It's not a freedom for the ego to satisfy all its drives and desires. It's a freedom from the passions and distortions of our ego that seek to keep us small and sullen. What I have to say today is really quite simple and I say it to myself more than I say it to any of you. No one is going to make you take up a cross and follow Jesus. No one is going to make you offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. No one, least of all Christ. You're free to not pray. You're free to not give your money to the church. You're free to not read scripture. You're free to not present yourself for the Eucharist liturgy. You're free to live your life without reference to the suffering of other people. You're free to not observe the fasts and feasts of the church. You're free to not be responsible for others. You're free to disengage from difficult relationships. You're free to not deny yourself. The result of using freedom in this way, of course, would be that you would no longer be following Christ, but it is Christ himself who gives you this freedom. Whoever wills, whoever desires to follow after me, says Christ. And he says it without coercion. The call of Christ isn't the demand of a tyrant. It is the invitation of the suffering servant who is God. But this invitation isn't to contemplate a theory of freedom. It's an invitation to experience a very paradoxical reality. That the more you look after yourself, the more you find yourself slipping through your own fingers, the more you cling to your own comforts and pleasures, the more you seek to prop up your own life, whether it's through money, self-expression, moral effort, it doesn't matter, the more you'll watch life seep out of your grasp. The invitation of Christ is an invitation to experience the strangeness of giving yourself in love to others, only to find yourself in the very act of self-emptying, being filled to overflowing with love and peace. And as you become more like Christ in this way, as you grow in your desire to follow him, which in turn feeds your desire to take up the cross that is yours to bear, you will find yourself resorting less and less to coercion as you relate to others. No longer will you need others to conform to your ideas for their life or your life, because you will have begun living the very life of Christ, which is itself true life, and a life of true freedom. I'll let Robert Capon have the last word. He says, but all the while, there was one thing we needed most, even from the start, and certainly will need from here on out into the new Jerusalem, the ability to take our freedom seriously and act on it. To live not in fear of mistakes, but in the knowledge that no mistake can hold a candle to the love that draws us home. My repentance, accordingly, is not so much for my failings, but for the two-bit attitude toward them by which I made them more sovereign than grace. Grace, the imperative to hear the music, not just listen for errors, makes all infirmities occasions of glory. Amen.